Good morning, good afternoon, and good night, wherever you're tuning in. We are Slava and Jonathan bringing you the SideQuest podcast, where we talk about character development, stories, and all things world building. We occasionally take side quests because, frankly, that's how conversations work. And just as a reminder, this whole show is spoiler heavy about whatever we're talking about. Uh, today is episode three, and we are looking at a study in Emerald. Go for it, Slava. Give us your weekly update on everything that's going on in your life. Oh, goodness. This week was fairly easy, but each day had a lot of little things to do. Mm-hmm. Whether it was at work or at home, it seemed no rest for the wicked was the, the name of this uh, <laughs> the theme for this week. Yeah, if you could name, I mean, I kind of like the question. Um, there's this questions game that I enjoy called We're Not Really Strangers. Shout out to We're Not, We're Not Really Strangers, free advertising, um, because I really enjoy questions. I think it's one of the reasons I enjoy philosophy. But uh, there's a question there that says, if you could give your current stage in life a chapter title what would it be but chapters are made up of sections and so you know every week so if you had to give your week a a a chapter title what would you give your week well that would be it the the chapter title would be no rest for the wicked because it was just i was setting you up to be more creative more more kind of disappointed yeah no i'm uh Next week, Slava will no longer be a part of the podcast because he's, he's been asked taking a creative to leave. writing class. He's been we've asked him to leave. Too soon? Too soon. Anyway. A study in pastiches would be a maybe a, a fine chapter uh, title for, for your life. Week. Yeah. Mm. Because I spent a lot of time diving into uh, our particular story. Well, this That's true. Story. You 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 tend to put a lot more study. What were you doing this week? Yeah, I uh, so I work at a tech startup, and so it's always a little, little crazy, which is fun. And I am helping prepare this event for. It's like our Super Bowl event that's happening in March, mm-hmm. and I've never been to one before. So I'm kind of presenting. I'm like gathering a bunch of ideas of things we could do, and then presenting it to like my uh, the person I report to, which is a COO, because he's gone to these for the last decade, and so he's like, oh yeah. Um, this part's not a good idea. This part is a good idea because he's just like, and you're not doing anything wrong. It's just, I've been to 10 of these. So I literally, it's held in the same place every year with the same folks. And so it's nice to know that like having a wrong answer is only wrong because someone else has more experience, which I think is probably true for life. Um, But it's just kind of nice to, to know like, all right, well, we don't need to test it because You've been there for a decade, so. Yeah. A colleague in my previous post said that if you're not making mistakes, then obviously you're not in this case, but for sake of the, the point I'm trying to make, if you're not making mistakes, you're not working. So a, a boss, if you come up with ideas and, you know, eight of them are stupid out of 10, a, a good boss would be like, oh, well, at least he's trying. He's working and I can guide him or mentor him or use this as a teaching moment all the above yeah i think that we don't i think that we we don't as a society encourage failure i i this might have been a tiktok post maybe an article i just it it, 
today's world, we devour so much information. But this person said every week their dad, when they'd have dinner on Fridays or whatever it was, they, or, or maybe it was every night, I think it was every night, he said, how did you fail today? And really instilled in the kids this idea that they should be failing regularly and it's not a problem. It's actually a good thing because that's how you grow. I mean, I was telling this yeah. to uh, my girlfriend. I was like, the reason we go to the gym is to fail. That's what you do. That's how you grow. It's literally you purposefully pick up weight that's too heavy and you go, I'm going to try and do 25 of these. And then you can't because it's too heavy. But if you do that for a week straight, probably by the end of the week, depending on how heavy of a weight you picked up, you can do 25 of them. Or you can, you know, maybe at the beginning of the week you started, you could do four of them. And then by the end of the week, you can do eight of them. The only way to grow is to push past your best. Um, right. There's a psychologist that I read who's, and then we can get into the story after this. Just one more, one more, one more comment. Uh, he says, sometimes your best isn't good enough. Sometimes you have to do better than your best. Um, he was making a commentary on people who are like, well, I'm trying my best. He's like, sometimes your best isn't good enough. That's, that's just the nature of it. You, like you can yeah, provide your best. Go you can always do better. Like, but you can always you know? do better. But like if the situation that you're in, if your best doesn't get you the results you're trying to go for, then you clearly your best is not good enough. Right. And it needs like, and the only way to get better is to literally push past your best to get better. Yep. Just like Sherlock Holmes. Nice segue. <laughs> All right. So what are we looking at today? A study in Emerald. The part That's of the right. show where Slava reads the plot to you because spoilers. I think I said this before, but just a reminder. Heavy spoilers. The whole show is spoilers because we're we're dissecting the story we're 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 yeah. taking a look at it so you're going to hear all about it yeah okay so the plot a study in emerald is a short story by neil gaiman from his fragile things collection it first appeared in an anthology called shadows over baker street a collection of stories combining the worlds of arthur conan doyle and hp lovecraft it is a sherlock holmes pastiche set in Lovecraft's Cthulhu universe. The title is a nod to Sherlock Holmes' novel, A Study in Scarlet, and the story has a dozen or so more allusions to the world of Sherlock Holmes. So, the story begins with an unnamed narr narrator, an injured veteran of a bloody war against the gods and men of Afghanistan, seeking lodgings upon his return to Albion, which is just an alternative name of, for Great Britain. He soon finds a suitable housing arrangement with a man with extraordinary deductive skills who puts them to use as a consulting detective. Inspector Lestrade, Lestrade, Lestrade? I think it's Lestrade. Inspector Lestrade arrives and asks for assistance solving a matter of national importance. The initial investigation reveals three clues, bits of tobacco, shoe prints, the world, the world Reich, said to mean revenge in German, written in the victim's blood on the wall, the detective deducts that the noble was murdered by two men, a tall smoking man and a shorter man who he calls a doctor with a limp. And the detective sets the trap for the suspects. The suspects avoid the trap because the tall man also has extraordinary deductive skills, 
It is revealed that he and the limping doctor are restorationists who believe that the great old ones are monsters from whom humanity must be freed. They send the detective a letter revealing how they deduce the trap and justifying the murder as revenge for crimes committed by the noble. Lestrade rushes off to search for Brene, which is the name of the suspect, and the limping accomplice, tentatively identified as a former military surgeon named John, or maybe James Watson. The detective requests that the narrator burn the reconstructionist's seditionary letter. Instead, the narrator keeps the letter and hides it along with the notes of the case, which end with neither suspect being caught. The story is signed S.M. Major Retired. This finally reveals the twist completely that the narrator is not Dr. Watson and the great detective is not Sherlock Holmes. They are, in fact, Moran and Moriarty, the arch nemeses of Holmes in the Arthur Conan Doyle universe. And Holmes and Watson are revealed to be the murderers of the noble. And there dun, we go, Jonathan. A study in Emerald. So, so I don't know about you, but I was fascinated by this story. More so than I anticipated, even knowing that it was a pastiche of Sherlock Holmes. Right. So I have to admit that I don't know as much about Sherlock Holmes as I thought I did after I read this because in some of the items we've discussed, I didn't know they were Sherlock Holmes relevant. There were things that I, that did stand out to me, like being on Baker Street, two bachelors moving in with each other for the time period, basic deductive things because that's what the character does. But the, the signature at the end, I didn't know, <laughs> similar to something that happened in the last episode, I didn't know, oh no, it was the first one where you told me the title of the story and I was like, oh, well, I fancy myself to be someone who's attentive yeah. to details, except when I'm not attentive to details. But you didn't figure out that the main character's name was in the title. Yeah, well, yeah, uh, we can't all be you, so. Uh, but yeah, I didn't know that this narrator was... Moriarty and his accomplice because I don't know his accomplice's name in the world of Sherlock Holmes. Right. Um, so the narrator is supposed to be Colonel Sebastian Moran and he's another character in the Sherlock Holmes world and he first appeared in 1903 short story an adventure the adventure of the empty house and Holmes describes him as the second most dangerous man in London second only to Moriarty and Moriarty and Sherlock Holmes are supposed to be equal. They're nemesi. So sh they're nemesi, yeah. Like, so Sherlock Holmes can best anybody except Moriarty. They're always on the same, you know, level. And one is uh, good, one is evil, but both are equally matched. And I found that that, that subversion in the pastiche fascinating mm. because at the end, you know, Sherlock Holmes and Watson are murderers, but are they? I mean, yeah, they are. In the eyes of the law, they are. But um, they are fighting the monsters in the Cthulhu universe. So I just have to chime in for everyone who's going to at you in the comments. Did I mispronounce Cthulhu? Yep. Do you, do you want me to? I'm going to just tell you. It's more of a just sound. Tell. It's just a sound. It's Cthulhu. Oh, Thulu. Okay. Cthulhu. Cthulhu. Um, At least I didn't say Chutulu. 
Can I get a churro with that? So, um, yeah, that fascinated me, the subversion of it all. And at the end, depending on your perspective, but I think most people's perspective would be that Sherlock Holmes and Watson are still the good guys, even though they're offing the Cthulhu monsters. Mm-hmm. So I am more red in H.P. Lovecraft, and so I'm, I'm looking forward to next episode when we read Dagon, because I think that Lovecraft's writing style from the early 1900s in his, like, very apoth... Uh, not pothic, uh, gothic, that's the word, very gothic writing style, was underappreciated for its time. It's very distinct and it's very different. But w- part of Gaiman's writing here was I don't think that he, and this is probably an unpopular opinion because Gaiman's a good writer, but he didn't give the Lovecraft side of this story the level of attention and detail that he gave the Sherlock Holmes side of this story. So we have uh, we have the dead body, which is described. Um, I don't know if you can pull it up real quick and read it to us. Uh, just like what how he describes the dead body. We see that yeah, the... Keep talking and I'll pull it up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we see the blood written on the wall, which is green. We get the name of the title in that scene where they're inspecting the the crime scene and then they go check they go talk to the queen and she is you know lightly described as this ominous figure etc etc we also have one additional monster moment when the narrator is telling us about his time in afghanistan and the shimmering water and the whispering voices etc etc and we'll see this a little more in the next episode when we read dagon the the prose that Lovecraft uses is, I want to say it's ornate, but I feel like that's not the right word that I want to use. It's, it's, uh, alluring is not the right word. It's elusive, like creating an uh, uh, illusion not an illusion, but an alluding to what the form is of the creature by describing other things around it so that you as the reader have to engage your imagination to build an even more incredible creature than if he were to just describe, it has six tentacles and it has glowing red eyes and da-da-da-da-da, whatever, whatever. Uh, and, And to segue just for a quick second... Um, the master himself, Alfred Hitchcock, for the film side of things, did this very well when he didn't show you what was going on on screen. He alluded to it so that you would make assumptions of how bad it really is. And they do the same thing in Jaws. Spielberg did this too, where you don't see the shark for most of the movie and you just assume it's really bad. You just like, you make the connection as the human because, uh, and this will probably come as a shock to all the viewers, listeners, whatever, uh, that we just are pre-programmed to be pessimistic and negative in our thought processes unless you do a lot of self-work to change that. We just constantly assume things are the worst case scenario and 
receive information as a negative a lot more readily than the positive. So what was that line? Did you find it? So this is from the second chapter called The Room. I am not, as I said, a writer by profession, and I hesitate to describe that place, knowing that my words cannot do it justice. Still, I have begun this narrative, and I fear I must continue. A murder had been committed in that little bedsit. The body, what was left of it, was still there on the floor. I saw it, but at first, somehow, I did not see it. What I saw instead was what had sprayed and gushed from the throat and chest of the victim. In color, it ranged from bile green to grass green. It soaked into the threadbare carpet and spattered the wallpaper. I imagined it for one moment the work of some hellish artist who decided to create a study in emerald. After what seemed like a hundred years, I looked down at the body, opened like a rabbit on a butcher's slab, and tried to make sense of what I saw. I removed my hat, and my friend did the same. Then it goes on to describe the detective examining the body. Right. So, it, it and again, I'm, I'm, I'm holding the unpopular opinion today that Gaiman, Gaiman did a good job with his Sherlock um, pis, uh, pastiche, but his Lovecraft side of his pastiche, I, I thought was lacking. I there, I said it. I unpopular yeah. opinions. Uh, that's fair. Yeah. And somebody who has read less Lovecraft than you and more Sherlock than you. And by that, I mean, I've read like three <laughs> and two of them were so long ago that I couldn't even explain what they were. Right. right? Uh, or, or give you the plots for them, you know, in any meaningful detail. And yeah, you're right. This is definitely more of a Sherlock Holmes pastiche than a Lovecraft pastiche. I saw an interview that was videotaped on somebody's phone and put on YouTube of Gaiman explaining how he put this story together. He says he didn't know how to put this together because in his in his mind, the engine that drives Lovecraft's world is unknowable mysteries and even some things that are, you're not supposed to know like because people are driven mad by the knowledge they find. And, you know, if you read a few of Lovecraft's uh, works that comes up a couple times and the idea again Gaiman speaking the idea behind Sherlock Holmes world the, the engine that drives that world is anything can be known with the right tools you can rationally come to knowledge of everything eventually so those, those two things and then he followed up with this statement that to make the study in Emerald work he would have to pull in the characters of the Sherlock Holmes world into a Lovecraftian universe. And I guess that's where you see him failing because the the, the world that these characters live in, all four, Moriarty, Moran, Watson, and, and Holmes, they live in a world where the old ones from a Lovecraftian's, you know, Cthulhu universe rule the world, right? So the world is there. So maybe he assumed that, like, hey, this is a Lovecraftian world. We're zeroing in on these four characters. But that doesn't take away your point. I'm just saying maybe there's has the reason behind it. Yeah, I don't have I I I I wouldn't I wouldn't espouse myself as a person who is a scholar of Lovecraft. I wouldn't even espouse myself an aficionado 
if that's a step down of Lovecraft. I'm just a guy who has read Lovecraft a few times. I've read both of his omnibuses. Uh, for those who are unfamiliar, an omnibus is a volume containing several novels or other previously published works of a person. And so basically, they took someone, uh, the publisher, took all of Lovecraft's writings, is the understanding, and tied them all together into a big novel, if you will, and uh, added a few extra notes here and there of like where he was at in life and his history and da da da. And so I've, I've gone through both of those, I want to say twice, maybe it was like once and a half, I don't know if I ever finished the second omnibus a second time, but I don't know of a single one of his worlds outside of like the concept of each of his worlds being mad I can't remember which one might be something like this so it that's why it feels made up it feels not real now if he would have and I'm I'm on a tangent here if he would have gone into a specific Cthulhu moment where you know someone who's read Lovecraft is like oh wow that's when they were on the submarine and the guy went mad and this is that statue from that one story and this is the da 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 okay fine I don't think it would change the comment that I made about his prose but at least you would you would more readily see the world in front of you as a Lovecraft world because frankly if if I didn't know that going in I I would just go oh it's Sherlock Holmes in a mo like some sort of monster ridden time right very interesting very interesting and i while not coming to the same conclusion as you because not having read lovecraft to the extent as you have i walked away going huh i wonder where these old ones came from what was the war 700 years ago uh you know that they took over the world where did they come from why did the queen heal watson is it because, this is revealed earlier in the story, is it because an old one or one of these Cthulhu monsters tortured him when he was fighting the gods and men of Afghanistan? So I was left wanting. I, again, like the different conclusions, but I, I was left wanting on the Lovecraft side too, but for different reasons. Yeah. I'll put it that way. Same principle, different supporting uh, points. Right. Same, yeah, different, yeah. Different, different preferences. Or, uh, yeah premises premises so i have a question for you then because i i almost want to not i i don't really have a whole lot more to say on the lovecraft side of it because we're going to get into lovecraft in the next episode which i am excited about so let's just focus on sherlock then because i know that there's no doubt in my mind as someone who hasn't even read a bunch of conan doyle's work i've simply seen i guess the pastiches from other people like house okay house is medical sherlock holmes for anyone who didn't notice you have this absolutely famous doctor who comes in and can figure out that it's not lupus in the first 15 minutes of the show and then the last 10 he he realizes the very nuanced details of whatever not lupus <laughs> i don't i don't know if you remember this the first like season was is it lupus and these doctors with him are like, it might be lupus. It always feels like it was like the writers couldn't figure out what another disease was. Anyway, I'm yeah, on some yeah. hot takes today. Right. His best his best friend in the show's name was Wilson House Wilson. Okay. Right. Okay. Interesting stuff. 
Yeah, so uh, I pulled up Sherlock Holmes, like all the, the omnibus uh, for the Sherlock Holmes. So I, like I said, I read Studying Scarlet, the, then the one with the dog. Oh, The Hound of Bakersville and The Sign of the Four. And that's what I, that's what I read as a kid. I'm that, you know, and a studying Scarlet last week, just to kind of get my head wrapped around how oh, good this pastiche was. He always goes above and beyond. So, okay, so you read the studying Scarlet as well? Yeah, this week. Yeah. Well, I listened to it on audiobook at double the speed okay. as I was driving. Okay. You yeah. Call the, that the, reading. The commute into work. Um, yeah. We should add Audible to sponsor us. Anyway, so tell me. I haven't read a study in Scarlet, so so give me the breakdown. Give me and the audience. I'm gonna go. I'm removing myself from this microphone. I'm gonna go sit with the audience for a minute. Tell me about the study in Scarlet. Tell us about the the parallels and the mirrors. Um, this is Slava's show today. It's Slava's show. Here we go. All right. So uh, the plot of a study in Scarlet is Dr. John Watson has returned to London after serving in the second uh, war in Afghanistan. He's looking for a place to live, and an old friend that he runs into and has lunch with him at the at the restaurant uh, tells him, "Oh, Sherlock Holmes is looking for uh, a roommate." They meet. Holmes reveals himself as a consulting detective, and that his frequent guests are clients. And he demonstrates his abilities by deducing that Watson just returned from Afghanistan, and the murder is revealed later in the story to be revenge for crimes committed against a, a, a woman. And the wo- a woman is also a suspect in, be- in the beginning because of a wedding ring that's dropped next to the body. So the man is poisoned in the, a starting scarlet, and then the guy who poisons him, in his own blood he writes Raish on the wall. But all the funny advertisements in this pastiche, the illusion there is Sherlock Holmes uses an ad saying, hey, we found a wedding ring, and eventually the person who comes to pick up the wedding ring, through Sherlock Holmes' deductions, they find the murderer. And the murderer freely admits what he does, just like just like Holmes does in this, uh, in this story, and says it was, uh, it was for the crimes committed by this man that he killed him. So those are the big allusions to a starting scarlet. There's also allusions to other general facts about Sherlock Holmes and the the world of the, the world that he inhabits. Give us another rundown of the other items that are related to Sherlock's world. I would say that the Baker Street is one of them. The deductive reasoning at a moment's notice is another one. Uh, striking conclusions that the audience or the reader might not know. Okay, sure. But what what are some of the ones... Well, yeah, give me some of the ones on that, and then I want to go back and, and discuss the similarities to A Study in Scarlet, which I have not read. Okay. There's 12 that I found, but I won't read all 12. We'll just go through some of them that I found interesting. So the detective has written a paper on the dynamics of an asteroid, which Raish or the Sherlock Holmes in this short story comments on. But in the Conan Doyle books, specifically The Valley of Fear, Moriarty is the author of the paper. 
Then Holmes's grandmother was a relative of the French artist Vernet, as revealed in the adventure of the Greek interpreter. And Sherry Vernet is therefore an obvious stage name for Sherlock Holmes in this universe. In this story, Sherlock Holmes is a gifted actor, a scandal in Bohemia. Uh, that's where he's, it's revealed that he's a master of disguise. And in the BBC story, this is really played out well, where Holmes plays a prank on Watson by dressing up as some of the characters even described in A Study in Emerald, and then disappearing into his office. So in that BBC miniseries, that episode, Watson's losing his mind, thinking he just rented a room with a serial murderer who, who takes clients who never come out of the room. So that's a, that's a little nod to three different things. So, so starting Emerald, A Scandal in Bohemia, which is a completely different book, and a BBC miniseries. Let's see. In the study of Scarlet, we mentioned this, but I'll say it again. In the study of Scarlet, newspaper ads are used to entrap the suspect, while in Game and Story, they are part of the Cthulhu world and reference other fictional characters. In both stories, the motive for murder is justice, and the murderers perceive themselves as doing something that is necessary. I also mentioned already, Scotland Yard initially suspects a woman in both stories. Uh, this one's kind of interesting. The murdered prince, being bohemian in this short story, it's an allusion to a scandal in Bohemia, and while not explicitly stated at the conclusion of the story, based on the date that accompanies the signature in the study of Emerald, the recent events in Russia most likely refer to the assassination of Tsar Alexander II in 1881. That is, an assassination of a great old one of extreme importance. But that is just a, a theory on some of the fandom sites that found plausible. So, those are the really interesting ones. The other one is uh, in The Final Problem, which is another book. Holmes warns Watson never to take the first cab that comes along. And what does he do in this story? Takes the first yeah. cab that comes along. Yeah. And I guess in the, that that's what reveals the trap. Uh, completely to Sherlock Holmes. Mm-hmm. So. Interesting. So, okay. So those are pretty detailed allusions, but again, to your initial point, they're all allusions to the world of Sherlock Holmes. Right. Let's go back. So there's a there's a real... It's almost like Gaiman took the outline for a study in Scarlet and just like popped it out and put it into this world which i'm not i'm not upset about right so rash on the wall coming into the into the murder scene i almost would have liked him to do a little more because a study in scarlet sounds good where you can you know have this well a lot of detective books a lot of crime shows and this is a spoiler for anybody who watches crime shows they almost always show you who the killer is in the first 15, 20 minutes. One of your suspects that you meet is going to be them and it's going to be the one you least expect usually. So, you know, they're never, it, they almost never reveal someone who they haven't set up as being a part of the show unless it's a to be continued. So it's all built in because story. So all crime shows are now ruined for you. Just pause it, just pause it 15, 20 minutes in and go, all right, who do I think it is? And then, assuming it's an hour-long show, uh, and then find out who it is. And you'll be like, man, shows are ruined for me now, and you can never watch crime shows again. 
too bad for you. But it's like ruining a magic trick. You either like like for me, I like knowing that kind of stuff because I I like to critique stories and shows and know the behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. But for some people, that ruins the magic. Yeah, and it's you know, true. Well, and I don't care. I, I like it. <laughs> I want to know how the sausage is made. Exactly. And I'm not going to become a vegan afterward. I just want to know that the meat is. This is this is just I'm done. I can't even. I don't really have a place I'm going here. I just was trying to be cool and it didn't work. <laughs> so that's all right. <laughs> the help me out here. I don't. I forgot you were saying. Study in emerald. Study in scarlet. You think you would find a study in scarlet interesting because of the study in emerald, and you were saying that it seems to you, Gaiman took an outline of the study of Scarlet, popped it into here, and then pulled pulled a few very notable Sherlock Holmes characteristics, specific points in the Sherlock Holmes life as outlined in other books, pulled them in here to make those specific allusions to make this pastiche a little bit more diverse, and just plopped what he calls a Lovecraftian universe that we mm-hmm. both find lacking in description at least yeah so honestly as much as i had questions at the end of this story i wouldn't read more not of this world not of these people not of this whatever it would have to be more developed so that it left me with a question at the end of similar questions that you had where it's like all right where did the old ones come from what happened if in afghanistan but honestly i just wasn't moved i just i was like meh Okay, well, that was the story. Yeah. So, that, on to the next story. Yeah. I I was not so far of our of all of the reading because we've read we we've tried to do this podcast for a while, but we're finally putting the discipline in. We read multiple novels so far before we started mm-hmm. recording this, and those pose a lot of really good questions. And you said something last episode like a short story is a lot harder, which I think is fair. I think that's super fair, but you have to go back and really comb for the nuanced details, which, and to his credit, the Sherlock side of it's fine. But he didn't leave me with a lot of questions. Not to say, oh man, I'd really love to see more. I mean, I'd like to see, I like the premise of like, uh, oh, all right, what does it look like to write novels from Moriarty's perspective taking on Sherlock Holmes? Cool. Yeah, I'm, I'm interested in that. What is it like to have Sherlock in a world that is Cthulhu Lovecraftian based? Okay, yeah, I like the premise there too. But it's just the execution on this one. And I would be curious to see if anybody else has tried this because I think it'd be interesting. If I don't know if you ever saw Parisia Tem. You've probably read anthologies before, but where they take a theme or a basic premise and then release authors or artists or filmmakers to make their own thing so parisia time is this film it's a like series of short films where the idea is your story has to take place in paris and it has to feature love that's it those are the parameters do with it what you will there's a there's one with uh, elijah wood as a vampire in love like it's it's crazy it's it's absolutely nuts Mm -hmm. uh So so go for it I was going to just interject real quick. This is the only portion of the short story that felt Lovecraftian to me. So I'm going to read it. It's just three short paragraphs. The gods and men of Afghanistan were savages, 
unwilling to be ruled from Whitehall or from Berlin or from even Moscow, and unprepared to see reason. I had been sent to those hills and attached to the regiment. As long as the fighting remained in the hills and mountains, we fought on equal footing. When the skirmishes descended into the caves and darkness, then we found ourselves, as it were, out of our depth and over our heads. I shall not forget the mirrored surface of the underground lake, nor the thing that emerged from the lake, its eyes opening and closing, and the singing whispers that accompanied it as it rose, saying their way about like the buzzing of flies bigger than worlds. That I survived was a miracle, but survive I did, and I returned to England with my nerves in shreds and tatters. The place that leech-like mouth had touched me was tattooed forever, frog white, into the skin of my now withered shoulder. I had once been a crack shot. Now I had nothing, save a fear of the world beneath the world, akin to panic, which meant I would gladly pay sixpence of my army pension for a handsome cab rather than a penny to travel underground. Still, the fogs and darkness of London comforted me, took me in. I had lost my first lodgings because I screamed in the night. I had been in Afghanistan. I was there no longer. So that, that was four paragraphs, but that was what to me stood out as like, oh wow, that's kind of reminiscent of what I read of Lovecraft and I only read the first omnibus. At the end of it, I was like, oh, okay, well, more about that monster. And what does it have to do with the queen healing his shoulder? And what does anything have to do with that? And then who are these great old ones? And what are they doing on earth? Above water. Ruling the world. Above water, below water, I don't care. What does that have to do with the price of butter? You know, like, nothing. <laughs> I wouldn't recommend this as a story if you are, like, it's not bad. Gaiman's a good writer, okay? So, it's just, it's just, it's like the mediocre meal that you made yourself on a Tuesday night. Speaking of mediocre, I, <laughs> my girlfriend used to work in the restaurant industry and when we first started dating, I was like, how do you feel if we go to a restaurant and I, and they go, oh, how's your meal? And I go, well, it's mediocre. She's like, I'll walk out. I'm not going to sit there. I, you can't do that in front of me. And I was like, what do you want me to lie to them? You want me to tell them it's, it's really good because it's not, it's just an average meal. I'm not upset. I don't need them to do anything. They don't even have to count the meal, but just like, it's just not the great, yeah. not every meal is the greatest meal I've ever had. Not every book that I read, not every story that I read is going to be the greatest story I've ever read. I like that he tried. And so 10 out of 10 effort for doing something that was unique and different and trying. But as we talked right. about earlier in the episode, sometimes you try and you fail. Dude, that was this episode, yeah. right? My, my, my Yeah, we talked about it. Okay, my world yeah. is shrinking. So, which maybe is a sign that we should wrap the episode up. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Well, here's the thing. I used to work in the restaurant too, and I'm a, a home chef. Well, I fancy myself a home chef. And I've been doing it for 20 years, so I'm pretty damn good at it, I think. And what I appreciate is somebody telling me, eh, this was okay, or hey, this is great. And when I was a waiter and somebody told me the food sucked, I didn't take it personally. Most of the time, the chef didn't either. They're like, all right, we'll remake it, whatever. Unless yeah. the customer was a complete douche right. about it, nobody, nobody cared. Everybody wanted to make the customer happy. Yeah. It's it's different if you're returning every plate that's brought up because you just can't find something that's worthwhile than yes. if you go, look, the steak's a little cold in the center. I wanted medium rare where it's a little warm. Can you just redo it, please? You know, just to, just do you mind? 
you know and if they go oh well no you go okay fine and you just don't go back um right all right throw us your final thoughts let's wrap this bad boy up my final thoughts let me get back to my notes here I know that you, you, and I apologize. This is this. You did a lot more research on this one than I did, and it maybe it was because I was just disinterested. I thought, meh, not that I dislike Sherlock, and not that I dislike Holmes, or sorry, Lovecraft, but it just didn't grab me. It didn't. It didn't pull me in. It didn't provoke me to go. I need to know more. I don't know what that voice was. All right, keep going. No, you're good. My takeaways or the top three things that I enjoyed really talked about the subversive nature of the pastiche i like that even though we already discussed what we didn't like about it but that attempt was there 10 for 10 for effort like you said i like that the 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 subversive nature that moriarty and moran so colonel moran and professor moriarty are supposedly the good guys or the presenters the good guys in the beginning and you even think that they're sure like in watson i enjoyed that kind of those twists uh and that that's a version of this pastiche all the connections of Sherlock Holmes to, to the Sherlock Holmes world fascinated me. There, Gaiman really shows his literary pro- prowess. And the thing kind of made me chuckle is that the online version and the version we listened to on Audible, it was a form of a Victorian periodical. And it was named the Star of Albion. Again, Albion is an old word for England. And it included the various ads for Vlad Tapies, Victor Frankenstein, spring Jack and Dr. Jekyll. Mm. So those little things stood out to me as not only interesting, but I, I enjoyed them. I thought the ads were funny. I thought it was a good, a good bit. Yeah. So that's it for me. But again, I, I hate it less than you do. I wouldn't <laughs> recommend it as a first Neil. G- if somebody says, hey, I really want to read Neil Gaiman. What should I read? I wouldn't recommend this. I love Neil Gaiman's other works that I read. I read a few of his short story collections, liked them a lot. I read American Gods, liked it a lot. Mm-hmm. So I'm definitely a fan of Neil Gaiman. I would give this story a B minus. Wow. Pause. Pause yeah. there. Your, yeah, I, your I, greatest... I, I liked it. I really, I really liked it. I think it's fun. But I, I am left wanting to know more about the Lovecraft side of it, the, the great old ones. I want to know more. I mm-hmm. wish they were part of the, the story more. Like, yeah, I really want to know the kind of at least the queen. I wanted to know more about the queen because it was fine. The guy who was murdered, he's some sort of rapey, weird dude that like likes the belly underground of London. Okay, the guy who died was related to the queen, so he was also yeah. one of the great old ones. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. exactly. All right. Maybe I misunderstood what you said. Anyway. The, the rapey part about it is he wanted to find a girl, I think. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. Like a, an untouched yeah. virgin gal who, and then he yeah. was going to like slurp the skin off her bones or whatever it says in the book. Right. So I think I just misunderstood what you what you mentioned. All right. So I've got to find well, some things that I like. Oh, no. F- please. please. Yeah. So let me, let me explain maybe. So you and the listeners aren't confused by what I said. So what I found interest, what I wanted to learn more about was the the great old ones and i could let go of some of the tropes and they're fine i'm not saying this is a bad thing like the the rich royal slithering around in the underbelly of the city doing things that he's not supposed to do because mm-hmm. he's you know some kind of psychopath that's fine don't explain that that is what it is he he got what's coming to him Let's, yeah but the queen what's her story the war 700 years ago i wish that the great old ones were more integrated into the story 
don't know. I don't want to belabor the point. Overall, I, I really enjoyed the story. I thought it was great. But I'm coming into this, haven't read Sherlock Holmes, haven't read H.P. Lovecraft, haven't read Neil Gaiman, so I was satisfied. That's, that's, my, that's my final thought. That's better than I ended with. So things that I liked. I really loved that Gaiman tried to do something as unique as this with Sherlock and Lovecraft. I think that that's a great juxtaposition between needing to discover the world like Sherlock does and needing to have unanswered questions like Lovecraft does. I, th I think that was great. Now that I had context, I think that the ending also where it's the reveal that this is Moriarty and his companion, also think that that's fun. Missed it because I just haven't read enough Conan Doyle, which is fine, but really enjoyed both those things. Things that I didn't like, the lack of provocation for me. Oh, oh sorry. A third thing that I was going to mention, the ads. I like the ads in the middle. I think that they were relevant. I had to go through it three times to have them start sinking in of like, oh, clean your soul. And then they are at the queen and he's getting his injury mended and it's like yeah. okay the ad is relevant to the thing i enjoy when authors put thought into it because they don't write that for no reason so i get that i think that that was good too but that's the the flaky salt on top of the dish that you put with next to the parsley that's not the dish itself that that's not going to keep me full so those those things i did like and that is fun i enjoyed those and I enjoy when other authors do those. One of the authors that I like does epigraphs, which are intros before the chapter begins, similar to this. And maybe these are technically epigraphs as well. I mm, I don't know. I'd have to re-look at the definition. But anyhow, things that I didn't like. I, I came in with a pretty excited bar for the level of Lovecraft that was going to be part of the story. And frankly, was let down. I... I'm just exasperated in my voice. I literally was excited. I was like, oh man, this is going to be great. Like it's going to bridge between reading this and then reading Dagon. And then I was like, where's the, and the story ended. And it was just like, okay, well, I mean, I, I caught some of the Sherlock stuff, but I'm sure that there's more just because I knew that this is supposed to be in, in the vein of and a pastiche of, yeah. but uh, I was like, I mean, I went through it a second time and I went, okay, so Bite on the shoulder, green blood, not subscribing the, the the bodies. Okay. And I was like, that's it? That's so I'm I'm B minus is fine. Mine I I ugh. I have yeah, to give it a B minus as well. I wanna give it less, but like respect where respect's due. I haven't written a story like this. I haven't tried to do something that's creative. So I want to give it a less because of the entertainment value that I didn't get, but that's like armchair quarterback nonsense. And I want to be that less than I want to give him a better grade. So B minus is from me as well. Okay. Fair. But I'm super excited about the next episode where we read Lovecraft because he's living in his own element and it's Dagon, which presides as a deity over the deep ones. Um, the deep ones are like this amphibious, humanoid race that resides in the earth's oceans now if he okay i just have to go back a second if he would have tied this into uh just a little bit more to like a a specific story 
from Lovecraft. Any, literally anyone. Oh, I feel like Carlo right now. Just getting riled up from my own self. It would have been better. It. I'm going to, yeah, belabor. Anyway. Last... I'm looking forward to next next week's too. I did some uh, diving into Dagon as a deity in our world. Not oh, yeah. Lovecraft pulled it from somewhere. There's a lot of interesting stuff. So next week we will nerd out about paganism and old old religion. I do. So Dagon's even mentioned in the Bible, which I'm kind mm-hmm. of I As think is really. Man. Yeah, he's a fish man. He he's he's the original Aquaman. Um, <laughs> anyway, all right. So I think that's it for this episode. Uh, Study in Emerald. Yes by Neil Gaiman, because I can finally pronounce his name correctly for some reason. If you enjoy this podcast, make sure to share it, like it, subscribe. If you want to go above and beyond, please feel free to rate us, leave a review. Look, if it's a bad review, if you want to give me a B-, minus, just make sure that you verbalize that Slava gets a C, because I want to know that I'm better than him. (laughs) (laughs) See, you thought I was going to say he'd get an A. But that's not how our friendship works. Um, You're my Moriarty to my, the Moriarty in my homes. Uh, only when it comes to fantasy, but clearly <laughs> when it when it comes to anything else, it's I'm I'm the gum on your shoe. <laughs> I don't even get to be a character; I just get to be the the flaky salt next to the parsley. Excellent. Uh, feel free to give us your suggestions if you want to hear more stories from someone that you love, and we will tear it apart. And I'll tell you how much I dislike it. So please let me please let me barbarize your favorite stories. Just put it in the comments. Um, man, I'm going to make a lot of enemies here. Oh, well, I'm committed. We're three episodes deep. I'm basically married to this show, so. Hey there, listeners. The rest of the episode turned out very clunky, and we couldn't resolve the issues even in post-edit. So I'm here to make a quick announcement and say thank you and goodbye on behalf of Jonathan. The announcement is that these episodes are going to be dropping, at least for the foreseeable future, Tuesday mornings on Spotify Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. And you can also find us on anchor.fm. As mentioned earlier in this episode, we will be discussing H.P. Lovecraft's short story, Dagon, for which we are both excited. We want to thank you for coming and listening this week, and we hope to see you next week. Y'all have a good day. Bye-bye.